To stay on top in business, stay on top of your technology with the new Business Desk podcast, the business of tech. Listen on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. Retirement Commissioner Jane Wrightson published her three yearly retirement policy review yesterday or day before, actually, with a warning that the number of retirees renting is likely to double to 600,000 by 2048, and that an increasing number of both renters and those retirees with mortgages are spending more than half their pensions on rent and borrowing costs. So there's lots to talk about. Uh, one man that knows a lot about it is Bernard Hickey. He joins us live from Australia now. Hello, Bernard. G'day, Bernard. Kia ora. Nice to have you on the show, mate. So one of the review recommendations was the retention of the universally available super as we know it. In your view, do you think it should be means tested? No, is the short answer. I used to think for quite some time, up until about a decade ago, that we needed to restrict accessibility uh, to New Zealand superannuation simply because of the cost of it. And because on on the face of it, it's just not fair that people who are very, very wealthy and often earning big incomes are also getting uh, a very livable pension on top of it. Mm. And, um, you know, there are many cases um, and some egregious cases, you know, former cabinet ministers getting two or three pensions plus a salary plus um, New Zealand Super, and it doesn't seem fair. But uh, one of the great things about New Zealand Super is its universality and the fact that it isn't means-tested either for income or assets means that people feel very relaxed about continuing to work. And we actually need that. We need lots of people to keep working after they get to the age of 65, if only so they pay tax to pay their own pensions. Okay, that's a good way of putting it. That's a good way of putting it because I guess... I'm I'm ten years shy of it, um, but I I've questioned about the means testing, Bernard, because I know um, a number of people, one of whom is very close to me here, as in my colleague, <laughs> <It's> me, <laughs> who are over sixty-five and they earn good incomes and have earned very good incomes and they're still getting it. And I go, is that would I want that? And so I've kind of I kind of have struggled with that concept. But you've said that very well. It yeah. encourages people to stay in work, given the confidence that it's going to be there. Yeah, and it turns out people who continue working are healthier. They need to go to the hospital less. Um, They're much happier and uh, often they're more connected in their communities and more likely to do good things. And uh, and also, frankly, with an ageing population, we need as many people working as possible. That's one of the risks, and we see it overseas. If you've got a means-tested and asset-tested pension, you hit 65, you retire, you finish work, uh, and in theory the job goes on to a younger person, but uh, often what happens is that the job goes and then a job isn't created. Or more importantly, um, the the job goes and then you have to pull that young person across from another job, uh, which increases wage inflation and can cause all sorts of problems in in the labor market. Just imagine if everyone over the age of 65 now wasn't working, we would have the most awful uh, labour shortages <laughs> on top of the ones we've already got. Right. Yeah, but we're looking at the cost of, and, and I could be shooting myself in the foot here, Bernard, but uh, the cost of uh, superannuation uh, means that it would be lower if these if it wasn't universal, surely. Well, no, it would. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It would be much lower. Mm-hmm. Um, however, the problem is that um, when you uh, choose to make it uh, not universal, 
uh, you then invent a whole bunch of costs to uh, track people down and make sure that they're um, paying their fair share. And um, it's quite interesting that often the people who get hurt in the process of uh, um, narrowing down and um, weeding out, if you like, the people who shouldn't be getting it, often it's the people who need it the most who get cut out. And um, so I'm in favour of a universal New Zealand superannuation. However, what I would say to those people who do feel guilty, I suppose, or worry about the cost is, okay, then, if you're guilty or you worry, you can either donate your pension to the uh, the 1% um, movement, which is where people donate their pension to a charitable organisation or people who are short on incomes, or make sure that you're in favour of a wealth tax or a capital gains tax so that we do have high enough ta- taxes collected from elsewhere in the economy to pay for the health care, education and social welfare costs for those people, particularly the young, who are doing it really tough at the moment. Oh, I can feel the phones getting <laughs> hot, as you say, introducing a wealth tax. Bernard, do you think that for, let's say, a 45-year-old listening to the show now, do you think that in 20 years that universal super will be available to them? I think it should be, and it will be very difficult for any politician to change the rules because, of course, um, the people who vote the most are those who are older. And um, the the irony here is if if we are forced to make it uh, means-tested for assets or income and to restrict its availability... The ones who will be hurt most are the ones who are only now in their 20s and 30s. Mm. By the time you bring in the later retirement age or you uh, restrict its availability, um, the, the people who, are, who actually need to, you could argue, you know, shouldn't, shouldn't be getting it, they've already retired and already got their money and they're either um, underground or um, uh, in, a, in a retirement home somewhere. Right. So um, I think politically it's much harder to change it than to simply say to people, okay, we keep New Zealand super universal, but we allow the one thing that isn't taxed in New Zealand, that is taxed everywhere else, which is um, wealth on uh, uh, land, residential land, for that to be taxed so that we can afford the things that we need, apart from everything else, afford the pensions and the healthcare costs as our population ages. What about the age of eligibility, which currently is 65 uh, the National Party is saying that they would push it out to 67. Your thoughts? Yeah, I'm very keen on keeping it at 65, mainly because the people who are hurt the most by keeping it to 67 are those people from Māori, um, Pacific communities, um, basically the poor, who have worked hard all their life, often have poorer health situations, shorter lifespans, and would be the ones to lose out the most by having that extra two years of working. Apart from anything else, um, that extra two years would would mean you have to um, save more and so spend less now so that you've got a bit more money later on. And uh, frankly, um, a shift from 65 to 67 really hurts the poorest, the unhealthiest, and... And we know in, in our society and those from Māori and Pacific backgrounds the most. But doesn't it, go, doesn't it sort of go against what you were saying before? If you push it out, it keeps people in work, it keeps a younger person sort of not from taking that job. Doesn't it go against what you were saying there? 
Uh, no, I mean, no one has to uh, retire at, at 60. They can keep working. Mm. But for those people who are exhausted and um, maybe in, in various, uh, has, have various medical troubles, um, they will at least get the money after the age of 65. Right, and uh, those two years of maybe they will continue working after sixty-five. It's often those last few years after you've turned sixty-five when you're able to get the pension and get your income as well. When you're able to do the most saving, or at least to pay off debt. So that two years is really important if you're struggling to either have enough savings or physically struggling to continue work. Because That's fair. Even if you can continue work, you can save the money. Very mm. fair. And look, last thing from me. Uh, the issue of reverse mortgages also came out in Jane Wrightson's report, and there's further investigation to go as to whether or not they should perhaps be looked into um, and maybe opened up a bit more freely. What's your overall view of a reverse mortgage? Yeah, I can see why some people are nervous about them, because if you take out a big mortgage when you're relatively old and you don't have an income, and they tend to have higher floating uh, interest rates on them, um, they can very quickly um, whittle away the equity in your home. It's a bit like the reverse case of compounding interest. You know how Einstein said that compounding interest was the most powerful force mm. in the universe? Mm. Well, yeah. it works in reverse when you've got a reverse mortgage. Yeah. And, of course, a lot of people who are retiring in a home, they have that equity in their home, and they're reluctant to use it themselves when they, what they really want to do is pass it on to their kids. But, of course, the problem is, um, for most people these days, uh, the, the kids really needed the money when they were 35, mm. not when they're 55. Yeah. Mm. And uh, the risk here is that we have a whole lot of people living in very expensive uh, houses where the money is not being used uh, properly for you know, hip replacements or just to have a nice time in your, in your old age or maybe to help fund a, a downsizing. And um, and then there's all these these people who actually uh, would really really need the money. Uh, one of the problems we have with our incredibly expensive, um, brutally unaffordable housing market is that it means a, a whole new generation are having to wait into their 40s and 50s before they buy their first home. That's way too late to start a family. Um, it's great for the fertility clinics, but it's awful for a society. Mm. Very interesting to get yeah. your thoughts, Bernard. Thank you for your time, mate. Cheers. Thanks. Have a great Thanks, day. Bernard. Bernard Hickey, economic commentator and writer of the Kaka newsletter. If you enjoyed this podcast, you will love our New Zealand Herald podcast, The Little Things, hosted by me, Francesca Rudkin, and my good friend, Louise Airy. We focus on all the little things that you can do to make a positive impact on your life and to cut through the confusion from the health and wellness industry. Join us every Saturday to hear from the experts for all the tips and advice you need. Just search The Little Things on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts.